Ukraine's president has announced he's scrapping new laws clamping down on protests after talks to try to resolve the country's political crisis. We'll bring you the latest and we hear a damning verdict on Ukraine's politicians and their attitude to the public. Most of the top brass politicians are very wealthy people. They look at the country through the windows of their limousines when they rush from their countryside homes. A former reporter for the Sunday Mirror and the News of the World has told the phone hacking trial that the practice was a pretty standard tool in the tabloid kit. Also tonight, if Egypt's revolution ends with the election of another military leader, what have the past three years delivered? Egypt has changed. The Egyptian people have changed. They no more want to be looked upon as subjects. They are citizens. And... Who stole a vial of the Pope's blood from a church in Italy? That's all after the BBC News with Luke Tuddenham. In the past hour, it's been announced that the Ukrainian president, Viktor Yanukovych, and opposition leaders have agreed to scrap controversial anti-protest laws. Talks have been taking place this evening in Kiev. Reports say the two sides also agreed to an amnesty for arrested protesters on condition that activists leave official buildings they have occupied. Protesters are angry that President Yanukovych refused to back closer ties with Europe, instead concentrating on building links with Russia. Royal Bank of Scotland has revealed it's setting aside more than £3 billion in additional funds to cover the cost of what it says were bad decisions taken during the financial crisis. The bank, which is 80% owned by the taxpayer, says the money will go towards settling claims relating to mis-selling of mortgage and insurance products, as well as interest rate hedging. The business secretary, Vince Cable, said it was a shocking story that taxpayers were still paying for the excesses of the bank. Here's Simon Gompertz. RBS, which includes NatWest Bank, has found that it's having to pay out even more compensation for missold payment protection insurance than expected. It's also anticipating a bigger bill for sales of interest rate protection to small businesses, which backfired, and legal claims and fines in the United States. But the costs don't stop there. The banking group, 80% owned by the taxpayer, is having to account for a huge bill for bad loans arising out of the recession and the financial crisis. So its overall results for 2013 are likely to a loss of nearly eight billion pounds when they're unveiled at the end of February. The eight senior managers on the executive board will forego their bonuses, but those payouts would represent just a fraction of the money that's been lost. A former tabloid newspaper reporter has told the phone hacking trial that he was taught how to intercept voicemails at the Sunday Mirror and that he hacked phones probably most days when he later worked at the News of the World. The court heard that Dan Evans, who was giving evidence for the prosecution, had already pleaded guilty to two counts of phone hacking, conspiracy to commit misconduct in a public office, and intending to pervert the course of justice. All seven defendants denied the charges against them. Peter Hunt reports from the Old Bailey. Dan Evans told the jury that he had pleaded guilty at an earlier hearing to phone hacking at the Sunday Mirror between 2003 and 2005, and at the News of the World from 2004 until 2010. The reporter described the illegal practice as a pretty standard tool in the tabloid kit. He said prior to his arrival at the Sunday Mirror, it had been going on for quite a long time. The News of the World made several attempts to recruit him. At one meeting, a journalist said to him, so I know you can screw phones, what else can you do? When he had an interview with the defendant, Andy Coulson, Mr Evans told the court he'd explained to the then tabloid editor that he could do stuff with phones.
The American government has reached an agreement with leading internet companies, including Google and Microsoft, allowing them to reveal how often they're ordered to hand over information about their customers in international, or sort of rather national, security investigations. Details of the compromise have been announced by the Justice Department in the past hour. The government had opposed the company's request to make the disclosures, saying it could interfere with investigations. There are growing signs that Egypt's army chief, Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, will announce that he's to run for the presidency in elections due within months. The country's military leadership has given General al-Sisi, who was promoted to field marshal earlier in the day, approval to stand. David Cameron has said he believes there's been a reasonable level of immigration to the UK from Romania and Bulgaria since the start of the year. The Prime Minister said EU rules meant he was unable to add new restrictions to the government's immigration bill, which will return to the Commons on Thursday, but he shared the frustration expressed by some MPs who want tougher controls. The Environment Secretary has said a new plan to deal with flooded parts of southwest England will be drawn up within the next six weeks. Owen Paterson was speaking on a visit to Somerset following claims that the Environment Agency had exacerbated flooding in the county by failing to dredge local rivers. He stressed that he understood the impact the floods were having on people's lives. It is absolutely shocking and horrifying to people's private lives, to their business lives. It is incredibly disruptive. And that is why we are spending a record sum on flood defences. That is why I have come down here personally to meet real local experts last night. We had a very good meeting with the two local MPs bringing people together who really understand how this system works. The former Radio 1 disc jockey Dave Lee Travis has begun giving evidence at his trial for sex offence allegations. He told the jury at Southwark Crown Court in South London that he liked to kiss and cuddle women, but he was not a sexual predator. The DJ denies charges of 12 indecent assaults and one sexual assault against 11 alleged victims. The UN mediator at the Syrian peace talks, Lakhtar Rahimi, has said there's been no breakthrough in attempts to arrange aid convoys to the besieged old city of Homs. A joint negotiating session on establishing a transitional government also made scant progress, but Mr. Brahimi said he'd never expected miracles. From the talks in Geneva, here's our diplomatic correspondent, Bridget Kendall. After the hopes raised yesterday, perhaps it was not surprising that Mr. Brahimi sounded somewhat downhearted as he announced that there had been no breakthrough in efforts to get UN aid convoys into the old city of Homs to ease the plight of trapped civilians there. He said he thought the Syrian government was willing, but the danger of snipers and other problems meant it wasn't easy. The good news, though, is that the two rival delegations from Syria are still talking, even though they clearly had a tense standoff this morning over the question of Syria's political future, which led their round-table session to break up early. One delegate called it a dialogue of the deaf. Ministers are considering changing the law to make it easier for energy companies to carry out fracking a mile underneath people's land without the permission of owners. The government is concerned that under the current system, shale gas exploration could be held up by lengthy court proceedings brought by landowners. Thank you, Luke. You're listening to The World Tonight with Ritala Shah. Efforts to end the political crisis in Ukraine are ratcheting up. Talks between President Yanukovych and the three main opposition leaders have taken place in Kiev this evening. They have agreed, it seems, to scrap the controversial anti-protest laws passed earlier this month. The World Tonight's Paul Moss is in Kiev. Paul, what more can you tell us? 
Well, we just heard that the Justice Minister has made a formal announcement. She said they were going to scrap a law which has caused so much discussion. That really is an understatement. I don't know if you can hear the protest, which is still going on just below where I'm standing. The anti-protest law, as it's been called, really was red rag to the demonstrators here and indeed across the country. They claimed that it would make legal, lawful protest illegal and it played into a narrative which many of these people believe which suggests that the government of Viktor Yanukovych is rather autocratic. But the scrapping of this law really has another sign. This is yet another concession by the government. Bear in mind it's only a few days since the president offered the prime minister's job and the deputy prime minister's job to members of the opposition, an offer which by the way they've so far declined. Now they're reversing a law which they only brought in just over a week ago. That really does suggest that the government is in retreat here. And Paul, what are people's grievances? Well, there are a lot of them, Ritter. That's why this, this issue, this conflict is so hard to talk about because it doesn't resolve itself down to a few simple issues. It all began two months ago, as people may remember, when the president, Viktor Yanukovych, was expected to sign a deal with the European Union, the European Union and instead, he signed one with the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin. Now, this worried some people here who didn't like the idea that this country could be drawn into Russia's embrace rather than the European Union. But then there are people here who have, as I said, this long-standing conviction that the government here is autocratic, that it doesn't really get democracy. But there's another thing. The economy of Ukraine is really in trouble, and ordinary people's living standards have certainly been affected by that. And when you talk to people here, not just the demonstrators, the ordinary people you meet in the streets, you'll find that that economic problem is another fundamental reason why a lot of people are very angry with this government. Another car steers its way through the snow and slush in Sviatoshinsky. This is one of the poorer neighborhoods in Kiev, filled with run-down high-rise estates and a rather shabby market with goods that look almost desperate to be sold. This was where I met Natalia, an elderly local woman out shopping in the market for some basic supplies. <coughs> Natalia told me she keeps chickens and rabbits at home for meals and also grows her own vegetables. Otherwise, she'd really struggle to make ends meet. This year, potatoes are very expensive. If I had known that before, I would have tried to have grown them myself. Prices are at the highest right now. There has never been a time like this before. Gas is expensive as well right now. What do you think of the people protesting at the moment in, in Maidan Square and elsewhere in Ukraine against the government? I think the government deserves all that's coming to them. Things cannot be the way they are at the moment. There is a very definite mood of fear here. Many of the people I've approached say that there's no way they want to speak to me, even about their day-to-day -day lives, because they're worried that they'll get into trouble with the police. Now, I've no way of knowing whether that's a real possibility, but the worry is clearly there, and most of those who will talk to me say they'll only do it if I promise not to give their name or say exactly where I met them. We have no customers at all. Waiting for them is like waiting for the sun in a rainy weather. It's very hard. We barely survive. There are no jobs, no wages, no working factories, no available vacancies. People are just about leaving. The country is going downhill. That woman's gloom is, to some extent, echoed by economic statistics. Ukraine has been in recession for more than a year. The government has had to dig deep into its reserves just to shore up the currency. 
It's also running a budget deficit, which the World Bank said was in danger of spinning out of control. And according to Igor Shevlikov, an economist at the think tank, the Institute for Public Policy, ordinary Ukrainian people are feeling the micro effects of this macroeconomic mess. The level of household incomes in Ukraine is considered to be the lowest in Europe. And distribution of incomes and wealth is very uneven. The divide between the richest and the poorest has grown quite considerably. Many people live subsistence level. They have a shelter, they have enough money to buy food, but if anything happens, for example, health problems, things can change very rapidly and quite radically. Do you see any sign that this situation is going to improve anytime soon? I don't really see that this government is able to change about quarter of uh, budget revenues is now spent on debt servicing. This is a road to nowhere. You can understand if the government's attention isn't entirely focused on the economy right now. The center of Kiev has been completely occupied by demonstrators, with new protests breaking out across the country every day. Away from the violence, Alexei Plotnika has had the task of developing economic policy for Ukraine's ruling party as an MP and one-time member of Parliament's Economic Affairs Committee. He insists the government can rescue the current situation, and that includes the country's economy. The situation is not very bad on the everyday living in the economic sense. Of course, we have not economic growth, we have some inflation, we have a problem with gas prices. But in general, the situation on day-to-day -day living of population of Ukraine is not bad. Do you think you could be accused of complacency? Because there's people out on the streets at the moment, furious with the way they're living here, and you're saying, well, things aren't too bad. Yes, I understand feeling of population, I understand social standard of human rights problem. We need a dialogue between population and authorities. Which of course is what's going on now. The ruling party and the opposition trying to thrash out some kind of deal. But according to one man who really knows the way government works here, the chances of successful negotiations are limited. And that's partly, he believes, because politicians have so little idea how ordinary Ukrainians live. Yevgeny Kiselyov is a political commentator who once worked inside the current administration. But he's left now and believes the situation in Ukraine only descended into this violent conflict because the country's government simply didn't see it coming. Complacency is probably the most widespread uh, disease of the uh, Ukrainian political elite. Most of the top brass politicians are very wealthy people. They look at the country through the windows of their limousines when they rush from their countryside homes. We now are watching a domino effect. One city after another is falling. Peaceful settlement is a distant possibility. The strange thing is that with all the upheaval going on here in Ukraine, Normal life does continue. I've just ducked into a cafe, which is just a few minutes from the Maidan, the main square where protesters have set up barricades. And sitting here, you could easily not know there was anything going on. People are sitting around drinking coffees, chatting with their friends. Some of them do look like they've been taking part in the demonstrations, but whether they have or not, when you talk to people here, so many of them do seem to have this extraordinary resentment about the life they lead nowadays in Ukraine. It works like this. By law, our university is on a free base, but to enter university on a free base, you, you have to firstly pay bribe and then to pay during the educational process. 
students pay to the people from faculty, people from faculty pay to rectors, directors, and they pay to politicians. Politicians, all the government, and just half of the parliament are a bunch of busters, unfortunately. In this country, our president, he lives as a very rich man. He and so-called elite, I'm very angry. Now, I should explain, you are sitting here with a great big padded jacket, you've got a helmet, and you're carrying a huge stick. We've seen a lot of violence out on the streets here in Kiev and in other cities. Is it really justified because people are angry about things like the economy? Yes, it is absolutely justified. Violence, it happens every day in our police departments. Now, there is no way back. That report from Paul Moss in Kiev. Well, the EU's foreign policy chief, Catherine Ashton, will fly to the Ukrainian capital tomorrow after meeting the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, in Brussels. That's likely to be a tense encounter. Russia has repeatedly warned the EU and the US against international interference in Ukraine. Well, I'm joined now by Alexander Nekrasov, a former advisor to President Yeltsin. Good evening. Good evening. Um, Mr Nekrasov, let's look at what's happened tonight. We've heard about the scrapping of these anti-protest laws. Does that suggest then that President Yanukovych is backing down in some way? Well, I think that uh, President Yanukovych obviously is a pragmatic man. So he responds to what is going on, and he obviously had to make concessions. But unfortunately for the opposition, they fell into the trap. Because what happened was that when he started offering them positions in the government, and when he started making all these concessions, they now have a difficult job. On the one hand, they said no, and no, we're not gonna join. On the other hand, they can be accused of not helping to sort out the situation. In a sense, I think it's a trap. And what is interesting is that um, I've heard an opinion of one uh, Ukrainian oligarch who is now in London, and he said that Yanukovych will stay on. He said the reason is that the opposition is not really united. It is not really representative of a lot of people. For example, we have a heavyweight boxer whose party is called Punch. Now, come on, are you going to vote for a party like that? So. The, 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 the point I'm making here is that it's not um, a united opposition with a program, with a policy. They just want to have uh, the government go to, to go to leave, okay. the president to step down. Um, but where is Russia likely to stand in all of this? How is it likely to react to what we've seen this evening and where that might leave President Yanukovych? Well, I think Russia's uh, response up to now was very rest uh, restrained. I think that uh, a lot of probably has to do with the Sochi Olympics in a sense. But on the other hand, I think what we are witnessing now in Ukraine is politicizing the economic and social uh, demands of the population. The people on, these, on the square in Kyiv and in other cities, they want a better life. They want an improvement of the living standards. But these opposition parties, they basically twisted the whole thing around and started to present that this is a movement to, to get rid of the, of the government, to get rid of the president before the election. Now, this is a question for you. If, if well, not for you specifically, but for everyone. Now, less than a year, well, okay, a bit more than a year is left till the elections, right? If the people are supposedly so against uh, getting closer to with Russia and, and leaving to Europe, Wait till the election. What's the point of this semi-civil war? But, okay, very briefly, very briefly, the protests have happened. We are where we are. 
is it is will there be in your view then a democratic and peaceful outcome of all of this very briefly i think there will be but it will take time mr nekrasov alexander nekrasov thank you very much indeed in 2011 egyptians launched a revolution which swept hosni mubarak an autocratic ruler backed by the military from power but now three tumultuous years later the people of Egypt appear to be ready to contemplate another military figure taking on the presidency. The country's top military body has given its approval for the army chief, Field Marshal Abdullah Fattah al-Sisi, to stand for election. He's expected to accept the nomination and resign from his military position within days.